Hey listeners, before we get started with another fantastic book fair episode, we have some bad news. (gasps) This episode is the final episode for season one of book fair. We will be on a one month summer break, but don't worry. We shall come back for season two very soon. And listen, guys, we have made you ready. Go forth into the world <laughs> with your book list and your shelf stacks and your library your cards and your library cards and your audible credits and your unwieldy TBR and read those books. And we're going to talk about it in August. And don't forget our summer challenge. You can also be doing hashtag summer shelfie selfie all along the way. <laughs> You'll see mine. <laughs> Welcome to Book Fair, a feast for every season of reading. We are a growing community of curious readers who share the excitement of books. We want to read together and feast together through the seasons of the year and the seasons of our lives, and we hope you join us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another journey through books with our book fair team. Today we are super excited because we have a guest with us. His name is Bobby Triplett. He's a great friend of mine. Now his author name, what's your author name, it's Bobby? RG. R.G. Triplett. Which stands for Robert Gerald, so don't go try and, uh, you know, steal my identity online of me, ladies. (laughs) You're on to him. I got you right there. (laughs) So that is your uh, author name, but we know you as Bobby. So you have written these three amazing books that are a trilogy in the fantasy world. Yes, ma'am. I just finished reading all of them. I read the first one a while back. But then I wanted to wait till the third one came out. I didn't want to read the second one and have to wait. So I pushed pause <laughs> until the third one Fair came enough. out. And then I just finished all of them. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed them. The story is just so beautiful and brilliant and life-affirming. Well, thank you. So I loved, loved it. But the first question I want to ask you is tell us a little bit about the books And how would you describe the premise of the trilogy? Sure. So it's called the Epic of Haven Trilogy. And uh, before I get into like the brief overarching story, I tell you it's like an epic allegorical fiction, right? It's not super on the nose. There's not a, uh, this character means this person, this character means this person. But I wanted them to tell the overarching bigger picture story of what I believe God is doing in the world. And so for me, like my little elevators speech or pitch or whatever you want to call it here is the, the kingdom of Haven in this world, there's no sun or moon or stars. There's only a burning tree. So the only unmade light in the world is a burning tree. It's amber by day, silver by night. And the idea was what happens, you know, how do we react? How does human nature, how does religion, how does government happen when the norm becomes no longer the norm? So for a long time, thousands of years, this tree has just burned, has illuminated the world. Everybody's happy. And there's been two types of people, uh, the poets who were enamored by the beauty, uh, overwhelmed with mystery, they reveled in it. And then there were the priests who were honestly more afraid of it. So they sought to control what they couldn't uh, understand. And so the poets and the priests and, um, you know, they were kind of rival factions. And then all of a sudden, one day, the tree starts dying. The branches fall. The illumination reduces. People start living in shadows for the first time. And typically, when fear enters the story or panic enters the story, the one who had sought control kicks the one who are just 
you know, seeking its beauty out. And so there was a big coup, so to speak, and the poets were banished, the priests took over, and the world then was preparing for the great darkening. And so they started harvesting all the trees. But what happens when the trees are all gone? What happens when there's no light that you can make on your own, all the resources, all the whatever? Uh, a very humanistic type approach to like, let me just fix, you know, this. fix this myself. And uh, there had always been a prophecy long before that a new light would come one day and no tree or no stone could, could hold it. And, uh, but people forget that. People forget to, to hope when mm. uncertain circumstances are right in your face a lot of times. You just try to control what you can control, which is yeah. not always a bad thing, but like in but this instance. Yeah, 100%. So in this, we follow the, the story of one uh, poetic dreamer named Cal, and he goes on a, uh, a pretty big adventure trusting in this prophecy and finding out who he is and that he's caught up in something so much bigger than himself, which is pretty exciting. So that's kind of the, the cool. it in a nutshell there. I'm in the first book, and I really like just all of the the language, the great darkening and, uh, with the dark and light and shadows. And the king's very name is, will you say it for me? It's Ilium. Yeah. Ilium, which I don't know, just reminded me of the word of Illumin. That's where I got it <laughs> yeah. from. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love all that. And it... Do y'all mind? I wanted to read a little bit of the sure, foreword. Sure, listen. He's like, read my book. Come on, guys. <laughs> listen. get warm in here? Yeah. Yeah. I thought the foreword was so lovely. Well, thank you. So here's just, I was like, okay, I can't highlight the whole thing. So, but I have a little bit of it here. This epic is my small attempt to shine a fresh light on the mysteries of this world of ours. I believe that when the heart is moved by wonder, something ancient echoes there in its red beating chambers. Something true, something holy, something gloriously original. And that, well, that is what I want. Much of what I know about life, about God, hope, magic, and faith, I do not find in the textbooks or laboratories. Rather, I find it in fantastic, imaginative, poetic tales where truth was tasted, where tension was felt, and where the rise and fall of man's journey reflected the unfailing image of a truth that we all long to return to. Wow. I love that. And the whole mm-hmm. forward is like that. thought, well, it took me a while to get past the front matter. <laughs> it was so lovely. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. And it kind of reminded me of quotes such as this one from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Fiction reveals truth that reality obscures. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, we talk about that on this podcast, The Power of Story. And I think it's, it can be even more powerful than nonfiction, which is a lot of what your forward was talking about. Yeah, I mean, the, the tales that enthralled me, that always captivated me, were the Narnias and the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. you know, reading, reading those as, as a kid, like, oh, I want to know what happened. And I wanted to go know whatever I could about what happened and behind mm-hmm. it. And it was funny to my mom's chagrin. She's like, there's wizards and dragons, the devil's in those books. I'm like, they're written by people who are telling a bigger story, lady. I mean, I do now. I didn't then. I would still be in my room grounded if I did that back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Since you said dragons, what other quote I want to share? Yeah. Tim Buck says it's a G.K. Chesterton it quote. Is. Got it. You know, you know where I'm going. So this is a paraphrased version of his quote. Fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. Yep. Mm. And that's something powerful about fantasy genre, I think, in particular. Yeah, and I think that that's 
for you know why people will get wrapped up in any kind of story whether it's a harry potter or uh the game of Thrones, whatever there is this overcome and it's if it's something that's not just i overcame spreadsheets and tps reports and speeding tickets you know what i mean <laughs> but i'm overcoming like bigger things and if they can do that maybe then i can overcome Heroes the mundane journey. yeah come on yeah. <laughs> so why did you choose to tell this story in a fantasy world. You know, you could sure. have told it in a modern, realistic world. Why did you choose that? I think that that's always kind of just been my, my bent. Like, that's what has drawn my heart. So I was, had just finished reading a trilogy called The Singer by hmm. Calvin Miller. Never heard of it. Uh, who is also the Miller in the book. So oh. all of my poets that are in here, they are all somebody. Are real poets. Are real poets, Aww. yeah. So I love that. Calvin Miller, uh, he, he passed away probably six or seven years ago, but he was a professor of theology, I believe it was in Alabama, and he wrote uh, a, tringer, a, a trilogy, excuse me, called The Singer, and there, it was a very like epic poem, Iliad, Odyssey type of thing, and it was... It was good, but it was so on the nose. And I was like, nobody who's not a believer is going to want to read this. You right. know what I mean? And so I remember, like, I enjoyed it. I loved it. It was fun. It was, I think it was probably written in the 70s or the 80s. And so it had a little bit of that essence to it. But I loved the, the, uh, the flowery language. I loved what he was trying to do. And I thought, like, what if I could tell a bigger picture of the story in a way that somebody who didn't already know it could still uncover something beautiful and then somebody who did know it it could reaffirm or challenge or uh so that was kind of the idea awesome. i mean i literally remember the light that i was sitting at <laughs> when that idea came to my head so wow little did i know that That's it was going to turn into a trilogy yeah, by any means yeah appropriate that it was you were sitting at a light mm -hmm. yeah oh that boom gotcha gotcha <laughs> she's on it she's on it yeah that's a cool purpose for sure so you are not a writer by profession. Uh, not by profession. I mean, I grew up professionally public speaking, writing songs. So I was always the songwriter for our band when we were on the road and then wrote a lot of, you know, sermons and worship music and a handful of articles that have been published. But I've never, this was my first attempt at a novel of any kind. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what you have done in the professional world and how you wound up, like what was your process? How did you go about writing this book while you were doing all these other things in your life? So, yeah, that's a great question. I don't even remember most of it. So, um, is it like a woman in labor? Like you just forget. I mean, I, I mean, I, like the, I, def I definitely remember. So this was my, this was a, to be honest, this was an escape. It was a safe spot. So, uh, I had, was a church planner at the time and our church was probably four or five years old, maybe six years old at the time. And, um, the, the nights and the weekends, uh, I would take to just fire up my computer and then just bang it out as much as I possibly could. Or I would, um, you know, if I was in between meetings or something like that, and I had some downtime, I would try to get a page or two whenever I could. And it was weird because I did not have an outline for any of the three books. Hmm. The, um, I knew the overarching story in my head and I knew a couple scenes, like vividly I can see the scenes in my head before I told them. And this is going to sound so cheeseball, but I mean, I'd get done seven or eight pages and I'd be like, well, I don't know where that came from. You know what I mean? And it was like, it was, it was awesome. And for me, like it was so, um, fun is a lame word for this, but it was, I mean, but it was fun and it yeah. was very, 
um, it felt interactive, right? Where I felt like I was given a vision, I was given an imagination, I was, you know, I was trusting, and then I was listening as best as I possibly could, and then I tried to to translate that on the screen. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, if you have talked to my editor, Melody, she will, I call her the red pimmant of doom. You know what I mean? <laughs> She's and like, so, get this out of here. yeah. So there's, there's a lot of words that did not make it into it. And then some of them that were mostly misspelled. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I can't ever vouch for, you know, my imaginative, uh, grammatical or, you know, spelling accuracy here in this book. Well, if it's coming it. out that fast, then you may just not be able to worry about spelling. Yeah. Yeah. See, I appreciate that. I feel like I've got an advocate at the end of this table. Yeah. Here. Yeah. So you knew how it was going to end. Is that what you had, you had an overarching idea? I or? knew like, so I wanted to tell the bigger story. And I think that the heart of the gospel that, that I believe is a great, the great restoration of all things. I don't think it's an exodus. I don't think it's a, you know, harps and wings. I think it's a great restoration of all things. And for me, um, like that's what I wanted to get to how we got there. Like I knew five or six major episodes that were going to happen that may or may not have been the end result, but that were going to be catalysts to it. And, um, yeah. And then the rest just came, Lots. I mean, there's probably over 250, 300 characters in the book and almost all of their names mean something i have a few friends whose names are in there the um if you uh if you know my friends you might find their names littered about um and i I tried to honor you know a lot of the different poets that um really inspire me like the john eldridge's calvin miller c.s lewis um andrew peterson is another one there's a lot of like there's a lot of inspiration from him in there um who is also a singer songwriter yeah mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And author. And author, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you, when you started this process then, did you have some kind of... I, I love listening to authors' interviews, and these are by and large just people that this is mostly what they do, and they talk about having a discipline of writing X number of words every day. Sure. Did you find something like that helpful or not? Yeah, I... So I knew that if I was, if I had a dedicated hour or two, like here is my goal to how many to accomplish. And I think almost each one of the three books is about 150,000 words each. Um, and so I knew whether it was to get through a chapter or to get through a scene, uh, or, Hey, I need to write 4,000 words today or 5,000 words today. That was my goal. Um, it was never a hard fast on the word count per day because I wanted to tell that scene Right. So if it was a few shorter, a few less, yeah. like it, the word count was arbitrary to me, but like it was more, I wanted to finish the scene. So that way, when I picked up, I wasn't in the middle of an action sequence. I wasn't in the middle of, Cause you know, how would you pick back up? Yeah. I mean, yeah. very difficult. I'd yeah. probably fumble it and then I'd have to go back and rewrite some stuff and I didn't have time for that. So, um, <laughs> I get that. yeah. Do you carve out certain time of day or was it just when you could get to it? I'm always interested in how people's side hustle can really yeah. have a spot. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. there was definite um, less TV watching. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, um, I'm very much a uh, creature of rhythm. So, like, I do X, Y, and Z. I have a very specific uh, thing that I like to hold to every day so I can get some, all the things I want to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, but at night after my kids would go down, like... I would bust out the computer, the laptop was off, you know what I mean? I, or the, the TV was off and I would try to crank through what I could. Sometimes I'd fall asleep, you know, while you're doing that. And so, um, sometimes it was a Saturday morning before baseball or Saturday morning, you know, where I could just 
go up to a, a coffee shop and just uh, write. It was interesting because when I would write sermons or messages or articles, I wanted zero noise. I wanted zero people around me. I wanted complete isolation. When I would write this, I would have 10 or 12 different soundtracks, like theatrical soundtracks that I would listen to, which I don't ever listen to music when I'm writing other things. Hmm. And then I actually found that a lot of my most productive days were sitting in a coffee shop, right? Well, if you're writing a story about about people in the world, then maybe that energy it was, was going yeah. I, I mean, it was interesting to me because to this day, if I need to go write um, like a leadership seminar that I do for my team, or if I've got to go write, like I want silence and I want nobody around, I want my door closed. <laughs> and then, But if I was writing this, like I, it was, you know, more, I don't know, fruitful being around, which was odd. And still to this day, like there's some of those soundtracks when I hear them, like, well, I know that scene that I wrote when oh, I listened to this. Cool. Like, yeah, that's it was great. fun. It's like like a memory then. A couple of great, like Kingdom of Heaven was a great one, the soundtrack, The Village soundtrack, <laughs> um, The Eagle, which was about like uh, a Roman like yeah. uh, centurion type of uh, movie. Um, man, there's like a few more that I list. Gladiator, some of the other, were some of the great soundtracks that I would, and they were just, and they were like mood swings the whole way through. Yeah. And like, if I was on a song that, no, that's action. I need, uh, I'm in a, like, give me, a, give me an emo me. song right here. You know, I need a moat <laughs> a little bit. So. That's amazing. That's so fascinating. Yeah. It was fun. I mean, it helped color it to me at least. And then I would try to like picture the emotion or the angst or the anger or the action through, you know, whatever I was listening to at the time. But I wanted zero words. That was a different thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want anybody's yes. words in Nobody, my head. Well, yeah, because yeah. that would cloud it. Yeah. So it is remarkable to begin with that you went from not being a fiction writer to writing a trilogy of books. There are so many people out there who have the dream to write a book and never do it. Um, my theory or thought about that would be that most of us, something as daunting as writing a whole book, we let blocks, voices of doubt, sure, you know, yeah. um, insecurities just keep us from ever trying, you know? So what would you say to someone who in the back of their mind has had the dream to write a book? They're not quote a writer. They've never done it. What helped you get over those humps and actually write the book? Sure. First thing I had to do is uh, hold it with an open hand, and I had to be mm. afraid to not. Be, I had to be afraid of not afraid of the criticism because I knew there were parts that were not going to be good. And um, I tell people that I'm a recovering approval whore, and I usually just say recovering because it makes you like me better. The um, um, but in that, like I had to take what people thought about what sure. I was going to write and say like, okay, it might not be good. It might not be, this might not be the right sentence. And really, um, I am a, uh, determined person. So if I start something, I will finish it. Right. Um, and I did not know it was going to be a trilogy. I did not know I was going to not tell the whole story in the first one. And then it kind of, once I started falling in love with it, yeah, you know, cause at the beginning it was actually going to be something else. Hmm. And, um, and then it, or the first book I thought was going to be something else. And then this book came, I found it in the middle of that. And, um, hmm. it was, uh, you know, I just chose to go for it, held it with an open hand, 
you know, had to swallow a lot of pride along the way. And then, listen, if it was awful and everyone thought it sucked, great. You know what I mean? But at least I accomplished it. I wrote yeah. it for me. And one day I'll bore my kids to it. But, like, if it, if it really started becoming what I hoped it would be, I, had a f- I trusted that um, the ends would somehow meet. Does that make sense? Tell me what you mean by hold it with an open hand. Meaning that I had an idea or the order of my words or maybe the intention of my words or the like what I was trying to convey with them. If it didn't hit the mark, I had to be okay with it going. going. So uh, was really cool. Um, my editor, Melody Farrell, I ha- also had what I would call like a, a, a content analyst, uh, you know, or the um, he, he made sure everything was true. Right. Mm-hmm. That the if we said you were going four miles east that this way, that there couldn't you couldn't say the next day. Well, it would have taken you two and a half days to get her. Rich Keski. Oh, uh, he is like person. he is a nerd upon nerd upon nerd. Like in yeah, the best way possible. Those things in a he's book he's a college professor and his favorite thing. And the only thing he reads is fantasy. Wow. And so um, having him like, well, Bobby, that's dumb. Like, Because I, I would. <laughs> You know, and so, and I would give like rough copies to a couple of my friends and then, and Rich as well to like, um, tell me what you think. Does this make sense? Do you like it? And sometimes your friends would be like, yeah, it's good. And then Rich would be like, well, that was the stupidest thing. Or I already read that before in this book written by this author. Try again. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, and so that type of thing, um, I had to get over like wanting to tell it a hundred percent the way I initially thought it would be. And that honestly made it better. You know, iron sharpening iron is only going to happen if there's a little bit of friction. And the friction wasn't a bad thing there, in my opinion. Yeah, I had to even think what that would mean. Someone to say if it's true in a fantasy book, it's not true. So you're meaning like logistically. Logistically, like continuity. Yeah, because I did, I used a lot of like dialogue or dialects for um, different peoples. So these names might came from more of a Norse, or these names might came from more of a Basque culture, or this name might came from more of like Scottish or Irish or whatever. And so, you know, hey, you can't use this name with this type of people because it wouldn't make sense because you have everything else in this type of, mm. you know, and or things like that. Or, hey, you said that he she shot all of the arrows. Well, how does she have an arrow here to shoot this person? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, man, and it was, I mean, I'm telling you like worth his weight in gold. Yeah. And so I own a few free meals still. The, um, wow. Yeah. But it was, but that was fun. I mean, literally, uh, at the end of this last book, the final coming down the end of the trilogy, like he had timelines mapped out for every character taped on pieces of paper to say, like, you can't say that this happened here because this person is literally at this point. Wow. Like, it was pretty cool. It was pretty fun. Also, I was like, I, just, <laughs> I don't know. I, just I was writing it, but I didn't even know. Yeah. So it was fun. So wow. what, I'm hearing you say there was a team, really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that part was a blast. Yeah. Uh, you know, really being able to bounce it off. At the beginning, there was a couple more people involved in the team. Um, I had some friends like Brandon Hyde. He's a filmmaker and, and Melody Farrell and a couple other people that would we'd bounce some some story ideas. Um, and then I'd go bang them out on the keyboard. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And then towards the end, the, the story had taken legs. And so um, it was less, hey, what do you think about this idea? And I would write it like, what do you think about this part of the story? Mm -hmm. And then we'd Mm -hmm. do some content management after that. The continuity thing is blowing my mind. Can you imagine Tolkien with all the deep lore he has and languages and, and typewriters? 
Like I can't, I can't <laughs> yeah. imagine. Right. Right. Yeah, and then, which is why, like, even that guy was so critical of one of his uh, biggest colleagues, C.S. Lewis. He's like, "Well, your continuity's not there, bud." You know what I mean? Like, because it's different. Like, he, mm-hmm. the timelines don't always match up for him, and so they they would butt heads. And and C.S. Lewis was more about just telling the story, and you know, Tolkien was creating a universe, and. Um, I love them both equally, you know what I mean? Which is, but it's just funny to think about those. I mean, you look at like George RR Martin and how many, he probably has like 2000 characters in his game of Thrones series. And each one of the books are like seven, 800 pages. And there's what, six or seven of them. Um, how do you keep all that together? Robert Jordan. Yeah. Wheel of time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about, it struck me again because before I read the second and third books, I went back and read the first, about 20% of the first one to kind of set the stage again. And you do say in there, and Amanda referenced it, that it's an allegory. And it's been a while since I read a book that actually in the foreword essentially says, you're about to read an allegory. Sure. (laughs) Um, Do you have specific things in mind, like in your mind? Like if, now that I've read it all, if I were to go through and be like, okay, what? I have several theories about what the tree represents. Like, I really want to know if you have it. Don't say it online. Sure. I mean, don't say it on air, but you know, I'm kind of dying to know. Um, do you have specific things that specific pieces, characters, places represent in your mind? Or is it much looser than that? Um, I mean, yes and no. Some of it is, is more loose. Some of it is very specific. Like, are you wanting me to clarify your question? Are you wanting me to tell you, like, exactly what they are right now? No. Or, oh. I guess what I'm asking is, as a reader, like, is it kind of a puzzle that like if I read the whole thing and then stand back and look at it I might be able to discover the allegory you were painting or is it more like it's a looser allegory and you intend for everyone to kind of have their own interpretation yeah so you could decipher the allegory that I was intending but that allegory is not this person equals this person this scene equals this it's probably more the theme that I'm trying to tell so it's more of an allegory in the overarching story, overarching story yeah. not so much in the individual right. yeah. pieces. That's what I would say. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there is not, I mean, there is a Jesus character, but not Jesus as you know him. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You won't find them till the very end. Right. You know what I mean? And so there is a character that very much is like a Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? There is very much characters that seem to be angel-esque. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but not necessarily like this person equals Gabriel the angel and this is a cross. You know what I mean? Type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, type of thing. Right. Okay. Listeners, if you read this book, you have to message me and tell me what you think the tree represents. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to ask Bobby when we're done recording. Sure. <laughs> And I have a very, I have a very yes, specific no. answer about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm super yeah. curious. So you went from a band to, with songs to a band with books. So I feel like it's uh-huh. not a crazy step See, at look, all. I like, like how you just drew that. You're, you're right putting there. content out. You have a team that makes it better, that builds on it. I can see the link is is a pretty clear path. Yeah, and it, it was it was fun. Like I will tell you, at this place in my life. Um, I'm itching to get back to writing. Uh, I'm in a pretty incredible position with the company that I help run um, where I get to scratch a lot of my leadership itches. You know what I mean? But uh, I don't necessarily have the bandwidth to sit down and write right now because 
the team is so large and they're spread out across the country, but I'm hoping this summer and the to, two-year-old twins and two-year-old twin boys. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. Can we put a picture of the twins online? Sure. You absolutely can. <laughs> oh, you guys, yeah. he has the cutest twins. <laughs> <laughs> they're a lot of fun. The, um, but we, uh, you know, I'm hoping this, maybe this summer to start one of the, the other stories I want to tell was kind of the prequel to this, to go oh. back and tell like this, the story of the kingdom of Terra. You know what Can I mean? Can you tell Ilium's story? That, that was kind of the goal, right? Oh. Uh, well, it was going to be more Cademan's story. Okay. Which he will be a character in that, obviously. So, so it should be fun. That was always at the beginning something that I wanted, wanted to tell. Very cool. Very cool. So how did you go about getting this published? So did a couple different ways, right? So at the beginning, the team and I, um, we put together the, the package to go the traditional route. And much like how music has consolidated over the last 20 years where you don't just go get a record label anymore. You have to go prove yourself and then somebody gives you a deal. Um, I, I looked around because, I mean, booksellers were reducing, publishing houses right. were getting gobbled up with Kindles and iPads and Audible and all this other kind of stuff. Like um, the the paper versions of books were being less and less produced and so or more selectively produced i'll probably just say that so yeah. in that i the band to use your terminology over there we are, have a lot of very smart very well connected people so we created and formed our own publishing company uh, called lost poet press um and in that we had people that you know had done work in in the publishing industry or in the pr world or in web design or in editing content you know uh um digital marketing. We had people that did graphic design. And so our powers combined, you know, we came, we put this together and it, we had a, uh, a lot of fun with it. We, you know, fundraised all of the money to get the first, uh, you know, release off the ground. And then it has been self, um, self-sufficient since then. And which has been kind wow, of exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. You just made it happen. Yeah. That's just all there is. Well, and what's super cool is that now this publishing house has gone on to publish other things. You guys published Brett's last book. We did. That was my yeah. next question. Which is yeah. really cool. We've then. done uh, seven or eight other books, and there's uh, two more that are in the works right now, which is which is a lot of fun. It's been a labor of love, and we're able to tell. And not all of them have been fiction stories by any means. A lot of them have been leadership driven or theology driven or um, you know counseling driven or, you know, the the story of, of the film based stuff where we published uh, leadership development um, like kind of uh, workbooks to go along with other mm -hmm. film related or leadership related things it's it's been a lot of fun that's great how did you get the audio book done it's so good thank you so we went through audible dot com and we hired a voiceover actor named Mark Topping he's so good he's great all the voices I mean I literally I'm a crier like I cry at uh, Publix commercials, <laughs> bus games, and movies with horses. But like, there are parts with there are parts when he's like singing the the songs that my characters are and creating his own melodies lines over it, or doing the different languages of the sprites that are in there. That like, I mean, I I get choked up. And he did such a spectacular job. He's out of the UK. He's a voiceover actor. He's a one man show and just crushes it. And yeah. so he. Um, he was a great partner to do all three. And that was that was a big deal for me is I wanted to have somebody who could do all three because I'm an audiobook junkie. Um, and I hate when you're like mid-story and they had to change boys. a narrator. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Drives I me nuts. That. Come on. Yeah. Drives me nuts. <laughs> so uh, he did a spectacular job. And yeah. we went through Audible. And they've, they've done great on Audible. And that's a lot of fun. 
So does he get started and you coach him, or does he just hand it over to you and say, "Here's yeah, what I do"? Yeah. So book. we, you know, we would do um, intake conversations at the beginning of every, you know, book. Okay, what does this mean? How do you pronounce this? There's a pronunciation guide and sure. all of in the okay. book, so that like, you know, some of the words are come out of different dialects and some of them we just made up. And so we want to make sure that like he is able to know what we are trying to get across. Uh, you know, he's asking, what does this, does this voice, I envision this voice kind of for this type of character. No, that's not what I'm envisioning. Yes, that's exactly, you know, and we okay. go back and forth at the There's beginning. And then after, after the first book, to be honest with you, like he knew us and we knew him and he was able to, you know, go out there and own it. And I love that. So did you, cause I know a little bit about how publishing with an independent publisher, what that looks like. Sure. So do you just pay for him to do that work? And then you put the audiobook together yourself, much like you would put the Kindle book together yourself? No, so uh, for those of you who have books that are published and you want to explore what Audible can do, there's a great partnership program where you can, they have a stable of artists, you know, hundreds, if not maybe even a thousand voiceover artists around the world. And they are specialized in certain things, you know, leadership, you know, textbook, you know, mystery, Mm -hmm. thriller, fantasy, whatever, you know what I mean? And so... You'll let them audition for you and figure out where you're at, and then you can negotiate the terms of the contract. Whether it's I pay you cash, and then they have to they have to do the takes, edit it, produce it, and then they hand you over a finished audio file that um, you have to approve, right? And then it goes to Audible, and then Audible publishes it. So you can either pay them cash for it, you can you can negotiate basic royalties, a combination in between, mm. and they you know they have what their rates are, you know, just like you know any other actor has whatever their day rate is, and so uh, very similar to that. Fascinating. Yeah. I had no idea. How yeah. that Me neither. Yeah. So if you ever see on Audible any like Audible originals, a lot of times those are you know a lot of their voiceover actors in there too that they're you know in conjunction with. <laughs> There's a lot of wiggle room for to, it to be just what you wanted then. Yeah, yeah and it, it, it all depends, right? And so depending on if you've got an actor that's green and has never done one, you know what I mean? Like they might be significantly less expensive, but your product might not be whatever. Mm-hmm. Or they might be amazing and they're just looking for their breakout. You never know. Uh, but it's up to you to manage that process with your, you know, because you're going into contract as the executive producer with them as the producer. Hmm. So interesting. So who is this book for that's a great question i think i think the book is for someone who's just looking for an adventure mm-hmm. and then my hope or my prayer is that another narrative will find them along the way mm-hmm. it is not it's not like so i i read all sorts of things spy novels historical fiction you know what i mean you name it right leadership stuff fantasy and and it's not you know it's not bubblegum it's not cotton candy it's not i wouldn't say it's an easy read right it it's more high fantasy so it's got a lot of words and it's got a lot of you know hopefully what you would find poetic threads throughout it and so um if you're looking to churn through it that's probably probably not your book you know what i mean but if you're looking for a good adventure we have i mean we have kids as young as 10 that have read it and people in their 80s and 90s that have read it and everywhere in between it just depends on if if you're a lover of like the tolkens and the lewises or the um and not to compare myself with them but like those john please don't all your, all your listeners will be like who the heck does this guy think he is and, um but like the more high fantasy like I, I think those would be the people that would enjoy it so you gave us age and personality which i feel like is there's two important qualifications. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, there is violence. I would probably rate it a PG-13. You know what I mean? There is mm-hmm. violence and there is, um, there, 
is a thread of romance that goes through there as well. But there's, I wouldn't say there's anything inappropriate for. No, um, Amanda actually asked me what I thought as far as age, and my my gut was like high school and up. Sure. Just because, I mean, doesn't a dragon bite the head off of somebody at some? I mean, I mean you know. when does a dragon not? That's what I'm going to say. Dragons are going to dragon. That's right. What are we animals here? <laughs> you know. So there, but there is, and the second book, I mean, there's a lot of war type. Yeah. Stuff. You know, the first book is called The Great Darkening, and you kind of get the story of. You know, it's becoming darker and darker. Yeah, there's some world building that has to happen. World building. And then he kind of sets off on his journey. And you kind of get the first stages of the journey and his first interactions with different things outside of his city. And it feels a little bit... um, I would say it feels a little bit like one of the later Narnia books. Like, the you know, a, a, a... hero kind of going from place to place sure. and you know starting to discover his quest and you know that kind of thing but then the second book is when it really gets dark right what's and the name with the title? ravenous siege well it also sounds like content for purpose and story development not content for shock which right. i Absolutely. feel like and there's some adventures totally yeah. different yeah. of course than, which like, is yeah. why i say high school like i think it would yeah. be completely fine for high school kids oh yeah um, but, but depending on your like i was thinking about my youngest was very sensitive and even by 11, 12, like he probably, he probably wouldn't have been ready for it. He probably sure. would have needed to wait till he was 16. Gotcha. So that was kind of where I, where my yeah. mind was about that. Yeah. It, I guess it just depends on your kid. We've had sure. like, my kids have been watching all the hobbits and Lord of the Rings and Indiana Jones from, from way young, but Since I feel like, were. yeah, <laughs> I mean, mainly cause I want to raise them right. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> if God was going to ask me, what did you do? Right. Well, my son, the other day, I think when he, the other day, years ago, when he was six, he's like, no time for love, Dr. Jones. And I was like, I could yeah. die. I could die right now because I, I did a good job. I don't even have anything else to teach him, you know? And so, um, but in that, like, yeah, it just depends on the sensitivity of your kid. Yeah. But the first one, it's, it's hero development. There's some adventure that happens in there and some, you know, mini bosses, if you will, you know, throughout yeah. the thing. But then the, the peril really starts kicking in in book two and then yeah. climaxes in three. Yeah. yeah. So we've said the title of the first two, The Great Darkening. The Ravenous Siege. And the third. Is The Coming Dawn. Great. And it's on Audible. And also it's on Kindle. Mm-hmm. And Kindle Unlimited, if you have that. Yeah. And it's also, you can buy the hardcovers and softcovers all on Amazon as well. Or you could also go to epicofhaven.com and then you could do orders from there for some of the, the limited edition stuff that we have. So. Cool. Limited edition. <laughs> <laughs> you got all the things. It was yeah. pretty cool. Like in, the, in each one of the books, we one of our um, graphic designers, Rob Stainbeck, he developed the whole map, the cartography of the whole world. Yeah. And so when we were yeah. launching, Love it. when we were launching the, the GoFundMe uh, or the Kickstarter campaign, uh, we printed for a certain donor level in big, you know, shape the, the maps. And we did it on kind of like a, you know, like a, a tea stained paper vibe. Yeah, it was super yeah. cool. So sitting behind my desk, you know, whenever I'm in my big corporate meetings, I've got a sword on my wall and I got my map behind the of wall. And, Just so they know yeah, who they're that's right. That's right. That's right. I, don't, don't tempt me. I've got a sword right there. Boy. So. Listeners, Bobby has offered to give us a copy of the trilogy. So when we put up our weekly post about this podcast, um, if you leave a comment and answer one of the questions about our interview with Bobby, you will be entered in a drawing to win the trilogy. Uh, how exciting. Which is so cool. That'd be great. Bobby, that's amazing. Yeah, Thank you absolutely. so much. Yeah, yeah for sure. Awesome. That'd be great. So 
since our podcast is about reading, we would love to know what you're reading now or something you've read recently that you'd love to share real quick. Sure. So I'm, I have kind of a, a rhythm in the morning. It's like leadership type or, or self-development books. And then, then, you know, in the evening it's, you know, if I'm on the treadmill or driving or whatever, it's, it's more fiction. So I, I'm going to pull it up here. And by reading, I'm audibling, which in which counts, which counts. My wife will tell you that that does not count. Uh Oh, so, uh-oh. Uh, we, disagree. we did. A, we did an episode right. on that. You need to, to have her listen to it and educate her. So the book that I just finished is The Dichotomy of Leadership by Jocko Willenick, uh, which was awesome. I'm reading The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. And then because um, my wife loves historical fiction and she just finished a book that she thought was awesome. And every now and then, I will try to read one that she does. Um, Good husband. Yeah, I don't, I don't always like them all. I'm going to be honest sure with you. Yeah, I give me some. Do that for you too? Okay, you don't. She have to has a, a time or two. A time or two. I think so it's a I'm great reading. Um, uh, it's called The Women of Chateau Lafayette, and it's by Stephanie Dre, and it's it's like a historical fiction, like Revolutionary War, Lafayette, who helped yeah, with the Revolutionary yeah, yeah. War. It's about ah. all, uh, World War One, World War Two, and Revolutionary War, all the, the women that were either associated with him or his legacy or whatever, that helped in the different wars and different revelations. Okay. Uh, revolutions, excuse me. And so it was, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's great. She loved it. Like it's, you know, it's, it's a good story. The, um, I will tell you, um, I, I do have some, some favorite books, uh, like one of my all-time uh, favorites in the last couple of years that I've read, well, I read it every year, is eleven twenty-two sixty-three by Stephen King. I read that on your recommendation. Did you not? Did you ball your eyes out it's towards so the end? Good. Like, oh my gosh, it's great. Like, it's. I mean, it's an incredible story about the an alternative reality to the Jake JFK assassination. Like, what oh. happens if he didn't get assassinated? Well, I'm not yeah. a horror person, and but I always hear rave reviews of Stephen King. Right. And then when I talked to you about that book, I was like, this sounds like a Stephen King I could do. Yeah. Like, yeah. I devour <laughs> most of his stuff that he puts out. Like, I, I the um, so that one, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, I have read twice. Really? And I have gut busted, laughed, cried, everything mm-hmm. is. And you're upset when it's over. And you have to do the audible because he narrates it and you'll miss out if you all don't. Right, all right. Uh, this all ma'am, right. come on. <laughs> and then I will give you one last. Of, uh, and I read it. Um, I read earlier this year that blew my mind. It was also had some allegory to it. It was Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chbosky. Hmm. He did, um, I think it was like the Diary of a Wallflower or something like that. Oh, I've heard of that. This was, this was what I would call allegory, but on a, on a horror side. Hmm. incredible like was not expecting it to be like this good and um definitely probably pg-13 maybe a little bit higher than that but like it was spectacular and i i love i had a, a mentor one time randy elrod who uh was talking about um you know redemptive storylines in any kind of story like even the most brutal war or horror, whatever infidelity, you name it. Like there is a thread. And if you find it, like the idea is that the Holy spirit can show you what to look and find that. And like, this was one of those that like, it was not just a thread. It was like a whole, you know, ball of yarn that was beautiful at the end. And it was super cool. Wow. That sounds amazing. Check it out. Don't like, you might want to keep the lights on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So before we wrap up, I would love for you to read part of the, as Amanda said, front matter um, that I thought was so beautiful, just to give our listeners a taste. Um, Is it still? I still have it up here, yeah. Um, I would love for you 
to read the preface. Okay. I would love to do that for you. Here's the preface to the great darkening. Breathed into the hearts of men at our first birth are the silent whispers of myth that echo with a resounding feel of would-be legend. Somehow, these grand incantations, they're bound and chained from within, and they're hidden in a chasm of doubt and duty and distraction. And they wait for one who would liberate their power and bring purpose to the captive heart in which they reside, making man fully alive for the second time. In every generation, hopeful stories are told of a chosen few who would find their chains fallen limp and in turn their hearts free. Their voices sing with heroic melodies and their eyes burn with a fierce understanding and theirs is the task that strikes fear in the hearts of the unawakened. And their mission is perilous and their quest daunting by which the enslaved hearts of men hold to the faintest hopes of freedom. That's awesome. It's really beautiful language. Thank you very much. Beauty and distraction. Yeah. Beautiful. It's funny. Like probably one, to me, one of the most uh, remembered lines of anything that I wrote was um, when it talks about the heart of the city of Haven, where they're just consumed with chopping down the trees and fueling their own light because they're afraid. And it was uh, um, time and timber, timber and time. That's the rhythm of a nation whose light is dying. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's like, I feel like those are the type of places where we can all, you know, superimpose ourselves there for a minute or two and realize, Oh, that's me. That's me. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Well, it was an honor to be your guest today. I hope, uh, I, my pinky was raised high enough when I was drinking this tea <laughs> in here and, and let me know how I could ever be of help to you guys again. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you so much for coming. So listeners, have you read The Great Darkening or the whole trilogy? We recommend it. Have you thought about writing a book? Let us know. Do you secretly dream of doing that? Like maybe some of us. What are some allegories you've read, and what do you think the importance of the redemptive ending in a story may or may not be? Let us know, and when you comment, you might be the recipient of a copy of the trilogy. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, I'm Trisha. I'm Amanda. I'm Elizabeth. And happy reading. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, subscribe to Book Fair Podcast. Join our Facebook group, find us on Instagram, or email us at chat at bookfairpodcast.com. And don't forget to tell a friend.